This is a When Walls Can Talk network podcast. Hi, my name is Jeremy Haig, psychic medium, tarot reader, and proud nerd of the occult and the spiritual. I've been talking to the dead since before I can remember. Hearing their stories and listening to their lessons radically changed my life and taught me to become more curious and peel back the layers of the world around me. On this podcast, I invite you on a journey as we discuss spirituality hot topics with specialists and practitioners from across the witchcraft community, pull and explore monthly collective tarot readings, and recount lost or forgotten paranormal stories from around the world. This is When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. We got drinks. Drinks. We have breakfast. Cold brew. Delicious breakfast. We got a fire going. And that means it's time for another episode. Slumber party vibes. When Walls Can Talk, we've got the windows blacked out so we can pretend it's midnight and spooky because we got a extra spooky episode for y'all today. Joining me on my guest couch. <laughs> we're pretending we're on some form of. Okay, let's pretend we're on like the Drew Barrymore show. I, that just felt like the vibe. Oh today. my god. <laughs> oh my god, you guys. Yes. We're pretending we're on the Kelly Clarkson show. Yeah, that's I love fine. Kelly I love Kelly Clarkson too. We have a Cheyenne from Ouija Bards and Midnight Margs. Hi, friends. And back by popular demand from our Colorado Ghost Stories episode, it's my boyfriend, Justin. Yay. Hi, I'm boyfriend. Everybody liked you, so you're back. Congrats. I like being liked. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Sam. He likes being included. <laughs> I like being a part. I'm important. And uh, today is going to be a extra spooky, extra low-key, laid-back episode, which I'm super excited for. We've got some coffee. We had a nice bottle of rosé. Nice early morning. Had some biscuits. We had some biscuits. We've watched some paranormal TV shows, just kind of vibing. And so I thought a fun episode we're watching, uh, my cat and Cheyenne's dog, Willie, are... Uh, They're not coexisting peacefully. But it's very fun to watch, especially because the cat's not attacking my toes this time, so... I'll, I'll let somebody else be the victim <laughs> of my cat stalking. We but live for a little chaos. We do. We do. Um, I thought today would be super fun to play around with a book that I bought a long time ago and I've had nobody else to like explore it with before. I bought it online from Ritual Craft here in Colorado. If you need some supplies, definitely check out Ritual Craft. The book is called... Drumroll, please. Dangerous Games to Play in the Dark by Lucia Peters. Have you ever heard of this book before? I have, which I, is why I agreed to record this at 12.32 in the afternoon. Not at, like, 12.32 <laughs> in the evening. You're now safe to see it in daylight for quite I a few more hours. I burn off all the ghosts in the UV sunshine. Right. And I just wanted to flip through, find some great stories, and read them to each other and spook each other out. Let's do it. How's that sound? I think we should do it tarot card style where you just oh, like flip to something and just see what you go. Okay. Yeah. Um, speaking of tarot, should we pull a card of some yes. sort? Yes. Yay. Okay. Hold on. I'll edit this. Get I, a deck. I didn't get, get anything. Get a deck. 
It's like where the guest is late to the show and they haven't right. gotten there yet, but this we're doing it live and so Oprah's out there like, yeah, give you her a car. You get a car. Convince her to come. So, so we'll use um, postcards from the liminal space today because I would love to read from a guidebook and kind of be included in it uh, and not. Channel a message Dr. today. DJ Baby Smooth <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I just want to enjoy this. Let's see what we got. Everything out of the way. I'm a mess as always. A very hot mess. Guys. Now some compliment. You beautiful. Oh, I have a present for you. Yay! I have to give you a present before you leave. I'll You're take it. Thank you. <laughs> That felt more sincere. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Let's see if I can get uh, ASMR in the mic. I don't know. Without them flying everywhere. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Wasn't it cool? It was amazing. Yes, it was. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. And then then we all got read by it. Yeah. And then it was rude. Okay. Oh, this one's sticking out. Let's see what she's got. All right, our card from Postcards from the Liminal Space is, you wished for this. Okay. Oh. Let's let this one read us. Are you ready? Okay, so to describe the picture on it, because a podcast is not a visual medium, we have a birthday cake on it, and it has three candles and two balloons kind of floating above the cake, and the ribbons of the two balloons are knotted together, which is interesting. So let's see... You wish for this. Okay, I found it. It was on the very last page. You wish for this. The thing you want more than anything else is being made manifest. Circumstances that do not support your larger intention must fall away first. There is grace in recognizing the bigger picture. You are not a victim of these circumstances. In fact, you are the architect of them. Don't you remember laying down these plans? Cool, cool, cool. I like that. Cool, cool, cool. I feel that. Yeah, that felt pointed. Yeah. Real, but accurate. Quit okay. your job. <laughs> <laughs> what was I just saying? Spirit told me to say that. Someone needed to hear that. Someone needed to. So with that being said, shall I read us a little introduction to this book so we know what the heck is going on? Yes. Okay. Mm. What are we drinking? Iced cold brew. Yes. Uh, blonde is- roast. Reductive and redundant Mm because it's cold already. (laughs) And it's got. um, uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) We drank a whole bottle of wine before this. Amaretto Creamer. There we go. I don't know why that was so hard. It's really not a hard word. It's not Amaretto. Amaretto. So it's like a nice, cool uh, almond cold brew, basically. I'm worried my cat's going to knock it over. We'll put it there for now. Okay. All right. We are going to turn to. So, our- did you ever do any of these games as a kid? No, like- actually, no. Okay, so I the, was really like you built. Don't have these like sleepover, like light as a feather, stiff as a board experience. I never did. Did you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about your light as a feather, stiff as a board. I've never actually talked to somebody who's done the game in real life before. Okay, so this might be <laughs> weird, but I feel like my high school had a lot of hypnotists. Come do okay. like motivational speeches. Oh, so you're not even talking about like kids in the high school. You're talking like people like came purposefully. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Like, which which sparked it all in us, right? This right. is why Shale and I were always like fucking right. around with Ouija boards, going to haunted haunted houses? Question mark. Totally. Um, like poking these these sticks and things. Like we 
Like, I've seen multiple hypnotists in my four years of high school in, like, a big assembly setting. That's really interesting. And that, I'm like, just actually now realizing really how many, but I have seen so many people hypnotized, and Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board is one of the ones they do. Yeah. Um, because I distinctly remember this one particular instance where someone was being hypnotized, and... Um, we all, like, I feel like we chanted it. Like, yeah. it was, like, oh, yeah. very collective. It's in the book. Like, There's a lot more they, steps to it than I realized. Yeah, like, they had the audience really participate in that belief, too. And then the person who was suspended, it was, like, a, a I think it was a dude who was suspended between these two chairs. So it wasn't people's fingers, but basically they laid across four chairs, and then the hypnotist started pulling them out. Pulling them out, so they were eventually only on the tip of their head yeah. and the tip of their feet. And then they had somebody stand on top of their body... Like, blew my mind. It's crazy. What? But I, I have this distinct memory of this, uh, of that being, like, one of the times. And, of course, you know, we would try it and then collapse into giggles or Right, right, right. Nobody know, can like, take it seriously. No one can actually, like, you can't hypnotize your friends because you have no idea, like, how to actually <laughs> Take it to get psychology. past the mental part. Um, and I never volunteered because I always thought that I would be... Like, that I would be too You'd never be able to, st- like, Especially switch with in. an audience. Yes. I feel like in the assembly, like, as a Libra, Leo, Scorpio, uh, big three, I, like, that's way too much attention yeah. for me not to perform for you. Right. And so I knew Sell I wouldn't, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be able to suspend the belief enough, but. Well, that was the tough thing for me, because the only time I ever saw Icarus is running around being adorable, and I'm just going to leave <laughs> it, because it's kind of cute. The only time I ever saw, uh mentalist or hypnist of any kind was at welcome week in college at temple okay and they pulled up like 15 people and did one of those uh like you tell them what to do even if it's embarrassing and somehow these people yeah, are like, suddenly doing it they'll whatever. Meow or whatever yeah and i had this thing even watching i was like okay some of these i really do believe in and other ones of these seem like they're having too much fun with the hoax of it all with the like illusion of it all yeah um but that was the first time I'd ever seen it live and ever been like, okay, there is some really weird things going on here. Yeah. What other games did you play? Um, well, I was telling you before we started recording about my first time doing Bloody Mary as a wee little kindergartner. I had a babysitter daycare provider who should not have been watching children. Um, and I don't have any memory of that outside of being completely terrified With my eyes, like, super closed as tight as I possibly could in this bathroom where there were, like, six small children. Were the stakes told to you? Like, do you know, were were you told what could happen? I think basically the only thing was just that she was scary. I think it was probably pitched to me as she was the devil's wife. You know, like, the way that always goes. And it was just bad. Like, I just knew it was bad. And we shouldn't be doing it, probably. Um, so I never played that game ever again, but I still, to this day, this, it, I was like five, like kindergarten, like yeah. you're little. Um, I cannot be in a room with a mirror in the dark and have my eyes open. Like I, if I like pass by a mirror in the dark, I will close my eyes until I'm past it. Interesting. Like it's still just like a physical. That presence is still somehow. Yeah, where I'm like, I don't necessarily, and I'm like, cause I'll think it in my head. Right. And then I'm like, shit, it doesn't count if I don't say it out loud. Right. Like, was the game ever closed <laughs> properly for you? No. Oh, yeah, we probably should just finish my game, maybe. Yeah. LOL. That's literally, I'm literally just thinking, <laughs> I wonder if your game was never closed. I don't know if it would necessarily make you feel better about it. Right. it like, it so that's like, I don't like, know that that would necessarily. It is a step you could take. It is yeah. a step you could consider, but. Totally. How interesting. Yeah. 
I was surrounded by too much Catholic guilt as a kid. And also, I, I, the way I grew up, we've talked about this a tiny bit, but kind of culty. I really wasn't al- alone very often. Yeah. And certainly as a group of young people, we weren't allowed to be alone as a group very often because a bunch of people with a similar mindset will all will taint each other into bad things, you know? Yeah. So we never really were a- alone enough to do stuff like, like to do stupid shit and yeah. be kids. Uh, not that I didn't always want to. And I remember I used to like try and secretly buy ghost hunting books on Amazon. And I just realized recently that I had one uh, and I thought I hid it well. And then I never saw it again after like a week later. And I think my parents found it and just tossed it. Yeah. But that was the closest I got to like dabbling in stuff like this. Um, but I knew a lot of games and I knew a lot of stories, but. So in this same ilk as the book that we're reading, um, we also would like read scary stories to tell in the dark, right? Like we would sit around at sleepovers or like watch these scary movies after dances and we would just intentionally try to freak each other out with ghost stories. See, and me being substantially, semi-substantially younger than the both of you, um, my generation and the kids that I grew up with we were afraid to go near this book. Yeah. It was there, and we knew of it, and specifically the elementary school I went to, um, there was, like, even the adults and everyone would tell all the younger kids that there was an incident with Bloody Mary in one of the girls' bathrooms, and that's why Oh, I remember locked. you telling me about that, That's actually. why it was always locked. To this day, that bathroom is still locked at that elementary school. No one has ever gone in it, because... Like it's, it's a whole thing. We can go into that another episode on another day. But they didn't uh, so we did believe either. We did believe in Bloody Mary and we yeah. did believe in the games. But like this book was like a no no. Like that we just weren't interested in it. We didn't want to. And for some reason, we believed them. Like I had never tried to argue. I never tried to go behind anyone's back to get to this book to try any of these games. Yeah. Like no, I know a lot of people who've never even attempted to access this book at all. I've always gotten. Chills and goosebumps. I'm very curious, actually, as we bring this up. LOL. LOL. <laughs> I was about I was about to say, I'm very curious as we kind of... I'm going to just let this go, so pardon the sirens. Um, I'm very curious as we go into this where people's minds are at in terms of what people's background with the book just by name alone is. So definitely, like, throw a comment on the Instagram post with the title. Because I'm just, I'm really curious if people are like, oh, God, I can't listen to this episode. I'm, like, are, are, are clicking away from it. If people are like, I've never heard of this one. I want to know more. Uh, if it's the sort of thing you know about it, but I feel like I never wanted to crack it. I'm just curious where where people are at with it. Or it is really interesting. Sorry. Uh, just where people's fear motivators exactly. come from with these things, too. Because... I feel like a lot of it is is just fear of getting a group of like young impressionable people, yeah. impressionable people together, who then like fuck shit up on their own accord right. for just like being a group of young people. Yeah. <laughs> um, because fear tends to be that thing that like takes you over that edge. Right. Of, like, I don't know. If that's literally the line from Haunting of Hill House, which uh, we will be doing this spring, so. Wait out for that one. But the fear is the willing relinquishment of logic is the line in Hill House. And then it comes back again later that love is the willing relinquishment of fear. Ooh. Which is a really interesting, but like yeah. that's one of their big like thesis lines in the movie is because it comes up at the very, very end again is fear is the willing relinquish we willing relinquishment of logic. 
which makes sense. You give up everything that you have built as a logical mind when fear takes over. Yeah. So the book, Dangerous Games to Play in the Dark, has a subtitle of A Guide to Summoning Spirits, Divining the Future, and Invoking the Supernatural by Lucia Peters. So we claim no copyright of this book. (laughs) Um, you, girl. The dedication is to those who would seek out the darkness. Read at your own risk. Ooh. Um, And, like, scanning through our contents, we've got games that a lot of people know, like Light as a Feather, Stuff as a Board... Um, Bloody Mary is in here, but there's other ones that people might not know. Um, or the elevator game that a lot of people know. There's the black telephone game, Closet to Another World, the Fortune game, the Compass game, the Corner game, the Sister Sister game, the Candles game, and there's a few from other countries too, which I figured at least one of those would be really interesting to yeah. read because they have really, really different fierce like, like landscapes, yeah, and also, um, how the game plays is just different, which is just a cool insight into um, other cultures. But I figured to kind of crack this open, I would read us the introduction. It's not super long, um, and I just thought it would be a really great way to kind of get into this book. So, flashlights, darkened rooms, the chanting of names, of mantras, of mysterious incantations, giggles in the... Don't like that. (laughs) Don't like the fact that my phone just rang. Um, Can we silence our phones, please? (laughs) It's me. It's me. It's me. Um, Giggles in the dark. Some out of bravery, others out of bravado. Dares, challenges, ghosts. You might be familiar with them. The kinds of games you play at sleepovers, around the campfire, or on the playground. More rituals than games, really. Meant to summon spirits communicate with supernatural beings, or otherwise connect with a realm beyond our own. You may have learned these games from your older friends or siblings, or out of books found in dusty and forgotten corners of the library. Books like this one, perhaps. You might not be convinced the games will actually work, believing them to be simply stories or urban legends, but when you play, you hope all the same that this time, maybe something will happen. You'll fall into a trance. You'll defy the laws of nature. You'll look into a mirror and see not your own reflection, but the shape of someone or something else. The appeal lies in the perceived peril of these games. They feel dangerous, and that's almost certainly the reason you're drawn to them. What you might not know is that these games are part of a long tradition of humans attempting to reach out and connect with something bigger than themselves. It's a desire to find out what may or may not exist beyond the veil, and to discover whether or not it's possible to bridge the gap between our own world and the other world, or worlds, that some believe might exist. The Egyptian Book of the Dead taught the living how to prepare those who had passed for their journey through the underworld. Oracles in ancient Greece claimed to see the future, channeling the voices of the gods. The purported seer Nostradamus wrote his infamous prophecies in the 16th century, predicting a vast number of disasters many believe have since come true. In the late 19th and 20th century, the spiritualist movement brought mediums, seances, and ghost photography into popular culture. And, of course, throughout time, elements of mysticism have spun their way through religious schools of thought both modern and ancient. Through the use of ritual, laying out sets of rules, ingredients to gather, and instructions to follow, people have continuously sought to make what we don't understand about the world somewhat more knowable. But over time, 
notably during the heyday of the spiritualist movement, which we just recently covered. If you haven't checked it out, uh, Seance in the White House will bring you the a pretty detailed history of spiritualism and the spiritualist movement. People began to think that these rituals, not just as magic or as religion, but as parlor games, activities like table turning, spirit channeling, and automatic writing, were brought out during parties and other social gatherings purely for the amazement and entertainment of families, of friends and guests. From there, it was only a brief jump to the kinds of games children played at sleepovers in the last few decades of the 20th century, which we were just talking about. As we entered the 21st century, these games continued to evolve. Whereas once people were limited only to what those within their own small circles knew, our networks have since expanded. Thanks to the internet, we now have access to an almost endless amount of information literally at our fingertips. Urban legends and ritual games are able to spread further and faster than ever, breaking cultural, linguistic, and geographic barriers as they go. What's more, new games are being invented all the time. These are often more complex than the ones played so many years ago, required, requiring specific supplies, a great deal of special conditions, and many more steps. For that reason, perhaps, we continue to consume them, to try them out and hope that maybe this time we'll see some results. Throughout history, rituals have been assembled in grimoires, essentially textbooks of magic, that contain spells, charms, methods of divination, and of course, invocations. You might, therefore, think of this book as a sort of modern-day grimoire, a compendium of contemporary uh, supernatural rituals, part encyclopedia, part instructional manual, and part storybook, intended to guide you through the shadowy world of today's urban legend games. Here you'll find the history and folklore behind 24 different games, each with a different purpose, as well as instructions on how to play them, and some do's and some don'ts you'd be wise to heed if you truly intend to try them out. Should you choose to play them, these dangerous games, know that you do so at your own risk. While we're on the subject, uh, we'll skip this. This is basically just her reminding you about using things like knives and candles and, um, being, uh, being smart. Yeah, don't leave, be, don't leave candles to unattended. To be fair, and, a lot of the yeah, high risks in this game are fire. fire. <laughs> at this point, you might be asking yourself the obvious question. Are the games in this book real? The truth is that there isn't a single answer. You'll have to decide for yourself. And that is our introduction All to right. dangerous games to play in the dark. Um, what thoughts stand out to you kind of reading through the introduction? Or are there, is there anything that um, kind of stood out? Or is everything kind of exactly what you anticipated as an intro to this book or book like this? Yeah, I think what I anticipated, but also I've, it's not my first foray. It's totally. this realm. Yeah. So I think everyone always tells you that, right? It's always like an abundance of caution. Yep. Which does nothing more. I mean, obviously, you need to be approaching any sort of spiritual work with like right. respect and reverence. But um, it does a really good job of just Playing stoking, with your mind. stoking more fear. Too. And the other thing, too, is the authors and the, the storytellers and the game makers or whatever are not they they don't lose anything or or giving an abundance of caution uh protects them essentially if something were to happen on the off chance yeah. that something goes terribly, terribly wrong. wrong um they're covered but also like being overly cautious 
it, it does two things at the same time. It protects them. They're in the clear. They're all good. But also... But they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Exactly. They know what they're doing when they're putting out that much caution. Because there's all... For every two kids that put the book down because of the cautions, there's going to be another three kids that pick it up and run with it. Right. The optics and of the book are better. Three. Yeah. So there's a couple <laughs> different kind of chunks to this book. They're broken up by different categories. So chapter one is our party games. Chapter two is summoning spirits. Chapter three is high stakes hide and seek. So various evolutions on hide and seek. Um, chapter four is long strange trips. So that's where you'll find the elevator game, which we'll definitely read a little later on. Mostly because I think it's a great way to also start bringing up a conversation around the Cecil Hotel, which I know many people will be excited to hear that I fully intend on doing an episode later. Um, chapter five is contacting the other side and chapter six is games of knowledge. So that's kind of our six categories and each one has four games each. So with that being said, I'm going to hand over the book to Cheyenne. I, I know I said I wanted to do this tarot style, but I wanted to see when you said high stakes, hide and seek, there is a hide and seek game that I played at a youth group that also scarred me for life. Really? And I wonder if it's in this First, For spiritual reasons or for, like, physical 3D, like... Both. Okay. I'm just curious what they would have called it in this. Um, because I believe... It was... I, I feel like it was just called something like Angels and Demons. Like... Oh, my. We had a game like that in elementary school, but it was in PE and it was maths and the lights were off and music. Totally different thing. Oh, I think Good I played memory. something like that, actually, now that I think about Good it. memory. I feel like in the 90s and early 2000s, all PE teachers shared games and things. Oh my god, it was amazing. We used to do a game called This Is So Random. It has nothing to do with anything remotely spiritual, but I'm giving Probably you a second. Yeah, no, we can was, cut this chunk out. It right? was called uh, Rudolph on the Rooftops, and basically, my teacher would just put like a giant oval of those fold-out gymnastic mats uh, because they look like rooftops, quote-unquote, like aerial view, and she'd put them in a big circle around and like, you'd have to just run and run and run when the music stopped. Like you had to be on a rooftop. And if you weren't on a mat, um, Santa could chuck a, <laughs> chuck a ball at you like dodgeball style. And that's how you, we did a lot of dodgeball style games. There's a lot of people getting hit in the head. Yeah, you know, we, we had a, we had a lot to... of run and hide in the dark and creating forts and scooters. And... Good times. Do you remember those days where you'd literally get home and then you just go get your bike and be like, get, uh, be home in time play. for dinner? Yeah. Be home, for, be home for sundown. Good times. Okay, I don't think it's in here. Do you remember the the rules of the stakes or anything? And I you could do. Describe it. No, for sure. So it's kind of similar uh, to the. So it reminds me of this game. Okay. This is the closest one to it. It's called the Midnight Game. Okay. Risk level is high. Your objective is to survive the night. Oh my god. So like no biggie. Um, additional warnings: fire, sharp objects, blood. Cool. The reward is your life. Oh my god. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So let's just say the stakes as they are presented in this book are very high. It does a good job of building. Stakes the, are high. The cover is black. The edge of the each page is red. It's It's got a whole aesthetic. It's said that the Midnight Game is an ancient ritual that was once used to punish those who dare disobey or challenge the gods. Whether or not this is true, the game's opponent, the Midnight Man, can be found wending his way through out history across the globe. Okay. He's not always called that, of course. Sometimes he's called Bicho Papao or the Deep Voiced Man. Other times he's Der Schwarzimann or the Man in Black. God, he's I love supernatural ignore stories all of my from, from other countries. Um, and still others, he's Bonhomme Sept um, Ayers or the Seven O'Clock Man. You probably know him by a more common name, however, 
the boogeyman. Okay. Oh, wow. Virtually every culture has its own boogeyman, a monstrous figure who emerges emerges at night to menace those who break the rules, or to answer those who challenge him directly. The Midnight Man loves a challenge. The Midnight Game has no prize for winning. The goal is simply to survive the oh my night God. without being caught. Exactly what happens to players who fall afoul of the Midnight Man varies depending on who you ask. According to some sources, he induces hallucinations of your greatest fear, while others say he actually unleashes that fear on you in its grossest physical form. Still others describe grievous bodily harm, injury, damage of the sort from which you are not likely to recover. Oh, man. One thing is clear. You don't play this game unless you want to tempt fate. If you win, though, well, maybe there's a reward after all. What could be more precious than your life? Jesus. So... How you play this game is you select a building or interior location for your playing field. The playing field must have multiple rooms as well as one wooden door inside it. Okay. Out of convenience, most players choose their own homes as the playing field, although whether or not this is wise to do is unclear. I was about to say, that seems like a terrible idea. Yeah, go ahead and tell you it's unwise to play this at home. Gather your supplies. You will need a candle, a lighter, a piece of paper, a pen, a sterilized pin, a hefty supply of salt, and a watch or a clock. Side note, this is also why most of the abandoned locations that we talk about in other episodes have, like, random ritual shit going on. Is because people read things like this and want to go somewhere where they can walk away from these scena- these situations and yeah. know that it's... So that's... Sometimes people are like, it's devil worshippers. Well, no, sometimes it's also just, like, kids wanting to have a good yeah, time. Yeah, just, like, fucking around in the woods. Not that they won't necessarily find something that freaks them out. I'm not saying that... But, like, this is generally how this happens. Totally. Like, that's the thought that... If, if I were a kid and I wanted to play this game and I wanted to go somewhere that wasn't my home, I would find the creepiest abandoned place I could. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe that's just me. And then there's kids like me that would, like, play in the dark of my closet with the door locked, because that's just the kind of not smart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so once you have your supplies, shortly before midnight, write your full name on your piece of paper, then prick your finger with the pin until you draw blood, and allow the blood to drip on the paper. Okay. So we're entering a blood oath at the beginning of this with the Midnight Man. With our name. Turn off every light in your playing field. When you've ensured that all lights have been extinguished, take the paper with your name and the blood to the wooden door. Close the door, place the piece of paper in front of it, place a candle on top of the paper, and light the candle. Knock on the door 22 times, making sure that the final knock occurs precisely at midnight. Refer to your watch or clock closely during this particular portion of the game. After the 22nd knock, open the door, blow out the candle, close the door again, and relight your candle immediately. Okay. There's no turning back now. You have now invited the Midnight Man inside your home. Christ. Whew, okay. I'm uncomfy. Pick up your candle and make sure you've got your salt and lighter or matches handy. Okay. Now the game begins. Begin to move around your home, being careful not to let your candle go out. So you have to keep your flame alive. Ah! Fuck, this is scary. (laughs) Don't stay in one place for too long. If you do, the Midnight Man will find you. And that, of course, is the last thing you want to happen. If you feel a sudden drop in temperature, hear soft whispers drifting out of the darkness, notice a human-shaped figure lurking in the corner of your vision, or if your candle goes out, look sharp. The Midnight Man is here. 
If any of those events occur, leave the area immediately. That's why you don't do it at home. Hide if you can, but do not exit the playing field. Okay. So just find yourself somewhere safe to... If the fourth event occurs, if your candle goes out, relight it immediately. You must relight it within 10 seconds. If you fail to do so, create a circle of salt around yourself as quickly as possible and remain inside it until 3.33 a.m. Oh my god. And if your phone dies? Continue moving around your playing field or remain in your salt circle until 3.33 a.m. Avoid the midnight man at all costs. If you make it to 3.33, congratulations, you've survived the midnight game. You may stop moving, step outside your salt circle, and turn on your lights. The midnight man has departed, and your game is over. That's stressful. That was intense. That's what this whole book is like, honestly. Do not begin this game unless you intend to finish it. Yeah, you, there, There's no way to end the game early once If you started, that's true. So you've got to have three hours and 33 minutes. Of unadulterated No matter terror. what happens, and you, you have, have to, be to ready. remain in your You can play with multiple people, um, but you all have to have your own ingredients, and mostly they tell you not to prick yourselves with the same pin. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and then you all knock on the door simultaneously. Fun. Okay. Do not engage in any of these activities while playing the game. Turn on the lights. Yep. Use a flashlight. Go to sleep. <laughs> Leave your home. Use the blood of a person other than yourself to summon him. Taking any of these actions will draw him to you immediately, resulting in automatic failure. This gives me hella gallows vibes. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. You guys get to you guys get to pick which one I read though. Okay. Well, because I've read I most. Did, of, I've read most all. Of I did them. high stakes, hide and seek. So, well, I think you should do the elevator. Okay, let's do the elevator, do the elevator game. game. This is. Have you ever heard of the elevator game? Um. Yes, but. I, like not the, not a, the not kind of like lot. the yeah not like the rules of how to play. So I don't want to get into it a ton, and not I'm sorry, not I will get into elevator game for sure. I don't want to get into um, a little bit about where you go. Eliza <laughs> Lamb disappeared from the Cecil Hotel uh, and was recovered two weeks later in a water tank above the hotel. I don't want to get into in too much depth because I really want to do like a deep dive on this on the show soon, very soon. So that's going to be probably one of the next ones I really research. But it, one of the only pieces of evidence that was found to explain, well, it really ended up leaving us with more questions than answers, so it really didn't explain anything, was a video of her inside the elevator of the hotel. Have you seen that video? Yeah. And it's approximately... It's long. I remember it being like seven minutes long. It's, it is. it's definitely lengthy. And th- there's weird things about the video. Um, but one of the big things everyone's noticed is, is that she pushes a lot of different buttons. Um, some people say that the elevator wasn't working, but it also looks like she's talking to somebody. She's using her hands in very weird ways. And a possible theory is that perhaps she was trying to play the elevator game. I find that theory a little bit difficult to buy because if you read the game itself, which we're about to do, nothing about what she's doing looks to me like the game. Yeah. But that's, I'll leave that up to you to, to make your own decision. I, I get why it's an intriguing theory and I would love for it to be something paranormal like that. Um, but I think you'll see as I read this, why it's kind of a hard sell. So, at the elevator game is risk level high. The objective is to visit another world. 
Um, additional warnings, none, and reward, one hell of a trip. Although elevators may seem like a recent invention, they actually date back to antiquity. The people of both ancient Greece and ancient Rome used rudimentary lift systems to raise and lower goods, livestock, and people. It wasn't until many centuries later, however, however, that the elevator as we know it today came into being. In 1852, Elisha Otis of the Otis Elevator Company invented the safety elevator, an elevator equipped with an emergency, with an emergency brake that would prevent the car from plummeting to the bottom of the shaft should the rope break. The very first safety elevator was installed in a five-story department store in New York in 1857, paving the way for skyscrapers to rise, quite literally, in cities all over the world in the following years. And yet, despite the elevator's long and well-trod history, superstitions surrounding the devices persist. In many English-speaking countries, where 13 is believed to be an unlucky believed to be an unlucky number, elevators often lack buttons for the 13th floor. In some East Asian nations, the same omission is sometimes made for buttons marked for the fourth floor. In Italy, it's the 17th floor that's considered unlucky, and on and on. Knowing all this, then, it's perhaps unsurprising that some believe you can transport yourself to another world entirely using an elevator. This transportation method, which made its way to the English-language internet from Korea around 2011, is referred to as the elevator game, although it also goes by quite a few other names as well. Some call it the elevator ritual, others the elevator to another world, and still others mince no words referring to it as the elevator to hell. That doesn't necessarily mean it does go to hell, but given that its goal is to deliver you somewhere other than your own world, that's certainly one possible destination. So, before you attempt to play this game, ask yourself, are you really willing to risk that particular journey? I definitely remembered it being either Korean. Um, I thought, I, I remember it being Korean and that it was the internet that brought it to the U.S. And it's funny because it came to the U.S. around the time of the Cecil Hotel. It, or gained a, a lot of popularity because you have this bizarre video of a missing woman or a woman that's now found, but nobody knows how she got from point A to point B. Yeah. It's interesting. So Something that stuck out really quick while you were reading that, uh, for the younger listeners that we have on the podcast, there's actually a Wizards of Waverly Place episode that depicts this game. Really? I think about it, yeah. Really? Huh. Interesting. interesting. You, you brought it while you were talking about uh, elevators not having the 13th floor marked. There's a whole episode that's literally dedicated to an elevator that the characters were told not to use that did have the 13th floor. They went on it. Mm, that sounds... Got stuck in a different dimension. Bunch of bad stuff happened. It is interesting, too, how stories like this were used in a very big way. And that was on Disney. Like yeah. A, a lot of these were used as cautionary tales. Mm-hmm. And more, less about cautionary tales around the supernatural and more about cautionary tales of listening to your parents. Like, yeah. if you think about it, a lot of stuff like this is like... You did it anyway. You were told not to. Bad things happened. The parents had to save the day. Yeah. And the the moral of the story had absolutely nothing to do with the danger that one was put in. It had everything to do with blind trust. <laughs> blind <laughs> obedience. Anyway, how to play. Step one. Choose your playing field. The playing field must be a building at least 10 stories high, and it absolutely must have an elevator. Well, Duh. Yes. <laughs> the game cannot proceed if these con- conditions are not met. Two, memorize the following sequence of numbers. Four, two, six, two, ten, five. Three, go to your chosen building. 
Call the elevator from the ground floor and enter it when it arrives. Alone. You may commence playing at any time of day or night. However, the game cannot proceed if anyone else is present in the elevator when you begin. So you have to play this as a You have to play this alone. Interesting. Number four. Yeah, no. Recall the sequence of numbers you previously memorized. This is the order in which you will visit the floors of the building. Begin by pressing the button for the fourth floor. Then when the elevator arrives at the fourth floor, do not debark, but rather stay aboard and immediately press the button for the second floor. So you can't press them all at once. No, you must wait for it to arrive, door to open, open. go to the next one. Interesting. Um, continue in this fashion until you have worked your way through the entire numerical sequence. If anybody, I think they tell you this later, but if and anybody like else enters, gets you on, have you have to start over. So that's why a lot of people do it at like three in the fucking morning. Because right. there's a much less chance of anybody getting on with you. However, second, we're still in step four. If a young woman enters the elevator at the fifth floor, do not look at her and do not speak to her. She is not what she seems. Step five. After visiting all the floors in the sequence, press the button for the first floor. When you do so, one of two things will occur. The elevator may descend to the ground floor, or it may ascend to the 10th floor. If the elevator descends to the ground floor, the ritual has not succeeded. Exit immediately once the door is open, do not look back, and do not speak. If the elevator ascends to the 10th floor, however, congratulations, the ritual has succeeded. Don't celebrate, though, you're only halfway through. Step 6. If the elevator ascends to the 10th floor, you will be faced with a choice upon arrival. You may either remain aboard the elevator, or you may exit. If you choose to remain aboard, immediately press the button for the first floor. You may experience some difficulty with this step, but persevere. If the button does not work, keep pressing it until it does, no matter how many times it takes for the elevator to begin moving. Exit the elevator as soon as the door is open at the ground floor. Do not look back, and do not speak. Leave the building immediately. If you're feeling bold, however... You may choose to exit the elevator at the 10th floor. Go ahead and explore. You will be the only person there. But be careful not to venture too far, however. You'll need to be able to find your way back to the elevator in order to return to your own world. If the young woman entered the elevator on the 5th floor, she will take this opportunity to ask you where you are going. Do not answer her. Do not look at her and do not speak. Step 7. When you are ready to return home, make your way back to the elevator. You must use the same elevator to return as the one in which you arrived. Recall the sequence of numbers you memorized. You still remember it, don't you? Send the elevator to each of those floors in order once more, beginning with the fourth and ending with the fifth. If the young woman is still in the elevator with you, you should be familiar with the rules by now. Do not look at her and do not speak. Number eight. When you reach the fifth floor, press the button for the first floor. At this point, the elevator will again begin to rise to the 10th floor, but before it reaches its final destination, press the button for any other floor in order to cancel the ascension. You must cancel the ascension before the elevator returns to the 10th floor. Step 9. When you reach the ground floor, do not exit the elevator immediately. Examine your surroundings. If anything seems odd, unusual, or incorrect, remain aboard. Press the button for the fourth floor and repeat the numerical sequence until your surroundings once again look as though they should. When you are positive, positive, that the elevator has returned to the correct ground floor, you may safely exit. Ten. Think twice about using that elevator again. Ugh. I have some additional information, but I will, I'll pause before I read that. What do we think? 
I would never be tempted to play it because you can't play it with a partner. No. Exactly. But if I could play it with a partner. <laughs> Absolutely. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. No question. If I can rely on someone else to get me back to the elevator. To like just yeah. hold my hand yeah. the whole time. Or like. Make sure we don't spontaneously. Okay, but also us. not looking at something that you're not supposed to look at is so fucking hard. Especially if they're standing there drilling you with questions. Yeah. Elevators like how do you not. And does that just mean walls. don't make eye contact with this bitch? Or like I can't like see her out of my peripheral? Like. My assumption is her shoes. My assumption is she's trying to pull you off course somehow. Okay. Either to get stuck in another dimension. I think that's what it is. It's like you know you figured out too much. You're you're prying too much. Yeah. And she's just not what she looks like. But I don't know. Yeah. But uh, like. Because I guess if people get stuck, they're not. Yeah. (laughs) We don't know. Um, Here's some additional information. You may terminate the ritual at any point prior to reaching the 10th floor by pressing the button for any other floor. So before you get to the point where you successfully arrive at another dimension, um, if another person boards the elevator at any point during the ritual and this person is not the woman who may board at the 5th floor, the ritual has failed. Return the elevator to the ground floor, exit it, and leave the building. You may try again another time. Um, Exactly what you see on the 10th floor varies by report. According to some... The world in which you will find yourself will appear virtually identical to your own. However, two details will stand out. Every single light will be off. And if you look out the windows, all you'll be able to see is a red cross looming in the distance. It's also not known whether electronic devices like phones or cameras function in this world. According to some, they do, while others insist that they don't. Returning to the elevator after exploring the world on the 10th floor may be something, uh, uh, may be something of a challenge. Time and space may not function as they do in your world. As such, you may become disoriented and unable to find the elevator, or it may feel as though the elevator is getting further and further away whenever you attempt to approach it. Do whatever you have to in order to keep yourself awake and alert. On that note, if you faint or go to sleep at any point while playing this game, you'll wake to find yourself in your own bed with no memory of how you got there. You'll want to take stock of your surroundings, however. What looks like your own bed in your own home in your own world may not, in fact, be yours. And one last reminder about the woman from the fifth floor. Do not look at her. Do not speak to her. If you do, she may not let you go home. Ever. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I love the way she writes. She she makes these sound like what they're supposed to feel like. (laughs) Exactly. I'm glad we don't have an elevator here at the complex now. No, we do not. Okay. Also, we don't live somewhere with a lot of buildings that are taller than 10 stories. No. <laughs> and I don't know a lot of, like, it's really hard to find abandoned public access. With an elevator that works? Well, that too. Yeah. But even even to do any of these games, because a lot of them are so locked down, because they don't want sh- shit like this going on. Right. Hooligans. <laughs> it's the last thing... The hotel security guard needs. It's another satanic night. cult. Like, yeah, like, great. This kid's back. God, all their... Did you pick one? Pick one? I did. What are you going to do? I've chosen the closet game, which is in chapter five, contacting the other side. Okay. Risk level is high. Okay. Objective, get in touch with an entity lurking in the depths of a closet. Additional warnings, fire, reward, bragging rights. Cool. <laughs> Done. Works Your for me. life. <laughs> All right. Don't confuse the closet game with the closet to another world. It serves a very different purpose. Rather than transporting the player to another world, it invites something else into our world. Something the most, something that most of us probably grew up calling the monster in the closet. Uh oh. Before we go on, 
Did we grow up ever thinking there were monsters? Oh, in the absolutely, closet? always. Yeah, hundred. Oh, and there was a good period of time, probably a two, three year period of my young childhood, where I would not sleep with any part of my body outside of like. Oh no! I was like, like like head, all of it. Yeah, like yeah. and tucked, <laughs> like full burrito style. Oh yeah. Nothing was getting hidden away. Under the bed was another one for me too. Was I feel like it was more work? under the was like a once I was in bed, even if I like. Woke up at midnight and had to pee. Like I would hold it. Like if the sun was not up, because you put that feet, foot on the ground, it's yeah, gonna get grabbed. My feet were not out. If someone else wasn't awake, not a chance. There were definitely periods of time when I would go like be more scared of the closet than I was before. Never, never did I ever sleep with the closet door open though. Closet door always had to be. I would have the light on and the door open. In the closet? Uh huh. Oh well, you if the light lived, was on, you must have lived in a nice enough house to have lights in the closet. See, as a, it's it's funny because I I oh. usually would sleep with a closet door open too, but not so much because of a fear of something in the closet, but just more of my general fear of the dark. Yeah, when it was just me, like I would just use my closet light as a nightlight. Yeah, like into adulthood too, of just like then I have a light, I can see how to get to the bathroom. Right now, if I have to pee at midnight, I will go pee at midnight, but. Oh, this is funny. This goes into the Midnight Game, too. Really? Yep. Oh, the Midnight Game. As in the Midnight Game, there are echoes of the Boogeyman here. This time, though, they speak not to our fear of transgression or breaking the rules, but to our primal fear of the dark. Indeed, it is an evolutionary advantage. It exists to protect us, to warn us when something is coming that could hurt us, Wow, I can't read. It's true. It's our animal instinct of we can't defend ourselves against potential predators in the dark, so our body knows not to expose ourselves to that. And the caution, and to caution us away from harm. That's what fear of the dark ultimately is. A way to protect ourselves from the things we can't see that might be hiding hiding in the shadows. The closet game, however, asks us to test the fear, to challenge it, and to tempt fate. A game which has been passed around for at least a decade, if not longer. It asks us to invite in the creatures from the darkness to dare them to come get us. The game is a short one to play, if, that is, you make it through alive. If you don't, it's even shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Jokes. Alright, step one on how to play. Choose a closet for your playing field. You might want to avoid choosing a closet that you use regularly regularly in your everyday life. Gather all your supplies. All you need is a book of matches. Okay. Then, wait until nightfall. When it is dark, turn out the lights of the room in which the closet is located and draw the curtains or block the windows. If there is a light inside the closet, make sure it is turned off as well. Step two. Taking the matches with you, step inside the closet and close the door behind you. If there is any light visible, either inside the closet or from outside of it, open the door and exit the closet. The game will not work under these conditions. You may try again when you have ensured that absolutely no light can be seen once you are inside the closet. Step 3. Face the closed closet door and stand in the darkness for at least two minutes. Oh my. You likely won't be able to refer to a watch or clock to monitor the time simply because you won't be able to see it. So count the two minutes in your head as accurately as possible. Don't move. Do not speak. Do not make any noise of any kind. Oh my. Step four. Once you have passed the two minute threshold... 
Hold one unlit match out in front of you and speak the following phrase. Show me the light or leave me in the darkness. Then, listen and listen closely and listen well. If you hear nothing, do not turn around. Exit the closet immediately. The ritual has failed. If, however, you hear a soft hiss, a slight rustling, a whisper light, the match immediately. If the match goes out, light another one immediately. Do not fail to light the match in time. Step five. If you've made it this far, slowly open the door and exit the closet, closing the door behind you once you're out. Do not allow the match to go out while you perform this action, and do not, under any circumstances, look inside the closet. Step six. Don't look inside that closet ever again. (laughs) Or at least, not without all the lights in the room on. Just leave the door shut from here on out. There is a reason it isn't considered wise to choose a closet for this game, which you use regularly for its intended purpose. If you open it again, there's no telling what you might let out. So you're just trapping a monster in your closet? In your closet. closet. I'm like, oh, well, we don't use that living closet. Why? <laughs> and then 20 years, about it. 20 years later, a realtor is going to be walking through the family. Could be a great nursery. There is additional information. That's how that happens. We just wrote a horror movie. Just right now. Oh my god, if somebody happens. steals that, I swear to god. <laughs> I'm gonna be pissed. After you have completed this game, if you have completed this game, Ooh, you god. may experience odd occurrences in the room in which the closet is located, especially at night, and especially if the closet door is left ajar. Some players report looking in the closet despite being warned not to and seeing two small points of light deep inside, like a pair of lit matches, or perhaps. Like eyes. That's likely what awaits you too. If you're able to complete steps five and six, that is, you might not be able to. Especially if you heard whispers and failed to light the match in time. Oh, and one more thing. If you ever enter the room and find the closet door standing open, shut it. Immediately. Creepy. Oh, shit! <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Oh, it's Cheyenne's turn. We love when it's Cheyenne. Do you want to do your next one, Tara style? No, I'm just picking one. You want, okay. High risk. Let's do Answer Man. Oh. Do the Answer Man. Okay. I love it. So this is actually one. This is one that I've always, 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 always wanted to do. The problem is, is that to get supplies for this game is difficult because you need ten, ten players. Ten. You need ten players, and you need ten prepaid phones that you're willing to break because you have to break all of them. I could get the prepaid phones. That's not the problem. I just don't have 10 friends. Read it, though. It's a really good one. This is one that I would love to do. Um, but it, finding 10 friends that you trust to follow these rules. Oh, that I trust? Oof. Yeah. 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 You'll, you'll see what I mean. But this is a good one. This okay. is one from one of the chapters we haven't read anything from yet. Party games. The answer man. Risk level high. Objective. Call the answer man. Ask him some questions. Answer some questions in return. Additional warnings. None. Reward information. Yeah, this is an information one. Sometimes referred to as the Phantom of the Answer, or the Answer Phantom. The game known as the Answer Man is believed to have developed quite recently, given that it requires the use of mobile phones in order to work. In fact, it's rumored that the Answer Man began circulating sometime in the early 2000s. Question. Is the Answer Man just ask Jeeves? Oh my god. <laughs> We solved it. <laughs> we 
solved it. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, roughly around the time that mobile phones started to become a part of our daily landscape. Yeah. The evolution of technology is fascinating, isn't it? As it evolves, so too do our methods of getting in touch with a world that is not our own. You'll need ten people to try and call the answer man. Indeed, although some might consider the answer man to be a game of knowledge, what makes it a party game is the sheer number of players required. Mm. As such, you'll definitely want to save this one for when you've got a group available. Do not attempt it with fewer than ten players. Do not attempt it with more than ten players. Really, just don't attempt it at all. But if you must, here's, here's how, how to play. play. <laughs> I love her. She's so sassy. How to play. First, you'll need to recruit nine players beside yourself. There should be exactly ten players total. We got three right here. If we have another seven, drop it in the comments on the Instagram post so we can... I don't can... know if Shia would play this with us. Oh, I don't think so. Just wait till you hear it. I know. I do not think so. <laughs> You're like, I don't know if you I love you so much, but I don't... Like, wait to... Yeah. It, this is not a This is not a game for the the faint of heart. Oh, well, then maybe we, we need eight players. <laughs> do not attempt with less than ten. <laughs> Okay, there, uh, choose your playing space as well. There are no requirements for the space. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be a place that fits all of your players where you're not likely to be disturbed. Gather your supplies. You will need ten mobile phones, one for each player. Inexpensive, disposable phones are recommended as they will be destroyed at the conclusion of the game. The phones should be capable of making and receiving calls, but they don't need to be able to do anything else. Yeah, so you could just get like jitterbugs. Just like, yeah. Walmart phone. Yeah. Each player might also want to prepare a list of questions, anything they wish to have answered, or all 10 players might collaborate on a single list of questions. The choice is yours, and in both cases, any and all questions are fair game. Yeah. Gather all 10 players and their phones together in your playing space. Form a circle, either sitting or standing, then have each player give their phone number to the person on the right. Count to three. On three, have all players call the person on their left. At this point, one of two things may happen. All ten players may either receive a busy signal or go to voicemail, or only nine players may receive a busy signal or go to voicemail. If the first outcome occurs, hang up your phones, hang up, put your phones away, and disband for now. The game has failed. Try again another time. If, however, only nine participants fail to reach the player to their left, pay attention. The rest of the game is about to unfold. One player and one player only will have their call answered. Somebody's phone will ring. Make sure the player has a list of questions ready. The answer man doesn't like to wait. What proceeds next is a sort of give and take between the player whose call went through and the answer man. Ask him a question from the list and listen carefully to his answer. Ooh. Commit the answer to memory if you can, although you may take notes if you wish. Just don't get distracted from the call. And I think you can't put it on speaker either. That would be really hard to not, like, disassociate in the middle. Totally. No, totally. You got nine people staring at you. After you've received your answer, it is the answer man's turn to ask you a question. You must answer his question and you must answer it as honestly and correctly as possible. After you've answered the answer man's question, if he determines your answer is satisfactory, you may ask another question. This trade-off, a question for a question, an answer for an answer, may be repeated 
as many times as you wish, as long as the answer man finds your questions to be acceptable. Do not pass the phone to anyone else. Do not employ speakerphone. I knew. I was like, I'm pretty sure you can't use speakerphone either. The answer man is particular about which calls he chooses to answer and whom he chooses to speak with. When you run out of questions, thank the answer man for his time and tell him it's time for you to go. This is where it gets tricky. The answer man you see will do his best to keep you on the line. He may even offer you more information, information he claims he will give you for free without requiring you to answer a question in return. Creepy! Do not believe him. Yeah. Do not accept his offer. Do not agree to stay on the line. His most powerful thing is information. Yeah. So the more information he's gaining from you, the more reason he has to keep you on the phone. (sighs) Don't hang up on him. Do, however, continue thanking him and telling him you have to go. Become a broken record. Say it over and over. Thank you for your time, but I have to go now. Say nothing else. Keep repeating this until he says goodbye and hangs up. As soon as the call has been terminated, gather all the phones used to play the game, whether or not the calls were successful, and destroy them. Get rid of the remains as soon as possible. Additional information. To make the calling process easier, you might consider designating one player the counter. The player will call out the countdown when it's time to make the call. When answering the answer man's questions, do not lie. Do not conveniently leave anything out from your response. Do not attempt to spin the truth. Do not answer incorrectly. And especially do not do any of the above if you foolishly stay on the line and accept the answer man's offer for free information. No matter what he says, this information will not be free. He will find a way to make it contingent on you answering a question. And this question will almost certainly be one impossible to answer to his satisfaction. If at any point the answer man determines an answer of yours to be insufficient, you might begin to feel an odd physical sensation in some area of your body. It might be a single joint of a finger or an entire limb, and it might be something more essential. And you will know this is to be the price of your failure. Be vigilant in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. Because one day he will come for his prize. There is nothing you can do to stop him. Lastly, do not fail to destroy each and every phone used to play this game. It's not good to leave the line open. Is that a good one? Yikes. That's rough. Someone gets to pick me one because I'll do maybe one more. I want to read all of them, but I will do maybe one more. Maybe we should do one of the ones from another country, actually. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Because there's a couple that have, like, uh, it says the, like, the name and then or, and then, like, another language. I think there's one from Japan. So he must be asking you questions that are, like, going to get you in trouble, right? Yeah, totally. Like, deeply personal with the group. Expose you to the group. But it's also interesting how much this is, like, built around high, high societal fears. Like one person being on the spot and one person being uh, exposed and uh, also that this thing will follow you for days and months and years and weeks or whatever. And um, very interesting. Yeah, this one from Latin America. Forgive any bad pronunciation on my part. (laughs) This one is called the Sister Sister Game or Sarah Sarita. Risk level medium. Objective, contact the entity or entities known as Sarah Sarita. 
Additional warnings, none. Reward responses to your most burning questions, maybe. Make contact with something otherworldly, definitely. Although some sources agree that El Luego de Sarasarita comes out of Latin America, several different origin stories exist for exactly who or what the entity going by that name is. In one, she's the offspring of the devil himself, while in another, she's not one entity, but two, the spirits of a pair of sisters who came to a horrible end at the hands of someone nefarious. It's not clear which origin story is the most accurate, or indeed whether either of them is accurate at all, but popular opinion seems to lie with the second. That backstory explains the other game by which this game is known, the sister-sister game. So it sounds like there's like twists on this game in various different formats. Before you start, though, there's one thing you should know. Sarah Sarita is not a game you play in order to gain knowledge. Never play that kind of game with a spirit who lies. How to play. Number one, find a partner to play with you and gather your supplies. You'll need a total of two coins, one for each player, and both of the same denomination, and as many yes or no questions as you can come up with uh, about anything at all. Then, select your playing space carefully. You may play this game anywhere you please, but some places make better playing spaces than others. Avoid outdoor areas or other locations in which it would be easy to lose a tossed coin. You do not want to risk losing one or both coins. Number two. You may begin at any time. When you are ready to play, go to your playing space with your partner, coins in hand, and sit on the ground facing each other. Then, speak in unison, ask for permission to enter the game. Say together, Sarah Sarita, may I play your game, and toss your coins over your shoulders at the same time. If the coins land heads up, you may proceed. You have successfully earned permission to play. If one coin lands heads up and another lands uh, tails up, the answer is maybe. Try asking again. If both coins are tails up, however, do not proceed. You have not received permission to play. Try asking again if you wish but don't push your luck. If the coins keep landing tails up or one tails in the other heads, cease your attempts, apologize for being a nuisance, and leave the playing space. Try again another day. Number three. Once both players have received permission to play, begin asking your questions. Players should take turns alternating every other question, but no matter whose turn it is to ask, make sure to begin each question by asking Sarah Sarita by name. Once a question has been asked, both players should throw their coins over their shoulders. If both coins land heads up, the answer to the question is yes. If they both land tails up, the answer is no. And if one lands tails up and the other lands heads up, the answer is maybe. You may rise from your sitting position to retrieve your coins from where they fell whenever you need to. Just be sure you sit back down again before you ask your next question. Ask as many questions as you wish. Ask whatever type of questions you wish. But if you begin to receive nothing but maybe in response, or if you start to feel uneasy or unsettled, be on your guard. Sarah Sarita may no longer wish to play. Step four. When you're ready to stop playing, or when you sense that Sarah Sarita no longer wishes to play, ask for permission to leave the game. With your partner, say together, Sarah Sarita, may I leave your game, and toss your coins over your shoulders at the same time. If both coins land heads up, you have successfully received permission to leave the game. Eek. If one coin is heads up and the one coin is tails up, tails up, the answer is maybe try asking again. But if both coins are tails up, however, do not proceed. 
You have not received permission to exit the game. Retrieve your coins and ask for it again. Do not, under any circumstances, leave the game until permission to do so has been granted. Now do you see why losing your coins would be problematic? (laughs) Step 5. After the game's end, keep a hold of those coins. Keep them safe, and whatever you do, do not, do not spend them. Additional information. Be wary of the answers you receive. Sarah Sarita doesn't always tell the truth. Sometimes she lies. Sometimes she even lies about granting permission to leave the game. If you ask to leave the game and believe you have received permission to do so, stay vigilant over the next few days. If you notice anything unusual, shadows moving in the corner of your eye, whispers following you whenever you go, wherever you go, a sense that you're being watched even when you're alone in a room, you might want to consider pulling out your coin and asking one more question. Ask Sarah Sarita, am I still playing your game? Then throw your coin over your shoulder. On which side did it land? No thanks. No? No. You good on that one? I lose enough wooden coins when we go out on Sunday nights. That's true. I know. No. I'm I'm gonna be stuck playing this game forever. (laughs) For the rest of your life? I lose things. (laughs) And then you'll lose or sell the coins. This is dangerous games to play in the dark. I could keep going. There's so many good ones, but... They are fun. It is fun to just read, like, reading them kind of just titillates you enough. Right? You know, where you're like, maybe I'll do... imagine how this would go. I'll do one more. Do Let Us Feather Steps Aboard so people can hear, like, the actual... There's a lot more. When I reread, I reread this book recently to do this episode because I was like, this just seems like a really fun topic to talk about. And I don't think a lot of people actually have the book at home to be able to, to reference it, so... I was rereading this one, and I was like, dang, there's a lot more involved in this than just what you see on the craft. <laughs> yeah. The craft, uh, they play it in Gilmore Girls. That's right. They uh, do it in uh, the new Sabrina, too, the don't they? Sabrina, they play it. Like, it's, yeah, you see it in pop culture. I feel like this is the game. This one and Bloody Mary are probably yeah. the two most well-known. Yeah, definitely read this one. This is a fun one. All right. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Risk level, low. Additional warnings. Heights. <laughs> Fire. Objective. Levitate a friend. Reward. Defying gravity. It's time to Oh my god, trail. thank you. I was just gonna start. I was thinking about it. No wonder we're all friends. <laughs> the earliest known reference we have to the levitation game, light as a feather, stiff as a board, dates back much further than you might think. Royal Navy Administrator and eventual member of Parliament, Samuel Papais, I think, described the game in an entry of his infamous diary in the 17th century. On July 30... Yeah. Damn. That's 1600s. Way That's like Puritans. Yeah. I guess that makes sense now, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I take it back. That makes sense. On July 31st, 1665... Happy birthday, Harry Potter. Sorry. <laughs> Peppy's recounted... I really hope I'm saying his last name right. Peps. Peppy's... I don't, I don't know, actually. It's P-E-P-Y-S, so... Right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, no, P-E-P. Peps. Peppy's. Peps recounted a story <laughs> told to him by I'm a sorry, friend. sir. We're not laughing at your name. Don't come uh, upon me. Sorry, go ahead, baby. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. <laughs> Always. Peps recounted. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh my 
Why is it funny? Uh, I apologize. So uh, this is the episode you signed up for this today. This is the, like slap happy part of the sleepover. Asterisk. Where you're it, all just like yeah. dressing up and making weird videos. Asterisk. This is why I also thought this would be a perfect episode to do after Seance in the White House and the Loch Ness episode from last week because we just something needed something lighter, relaxed something and a little funny, more fun. and yeah. Something to remind the followers that we're all not suit and tie. Sometimes <laughs> we're board shorts and I like to us. pretend that I'm editing for NPR sometimes, so it leaks in in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I pretend that I... Anyway, continue. Peps recounted a story told him by a friend, a Mr. Brisbane, who claimed to have witnessed several children playing the game in France. Brisbane had described how with a single finger, each four young girls appeared to raise a young boy higher than their heads. I could levitate you with a single finger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I'll talk to you after the show. Just saying. <laughs> Wait, is there French? I can read the French part. No, there's no French. Oh, there is French. <laughs> the chant the children used was as follows. Ahem. Let's see if I can remember. Voici un corps mort, raide comme un bâton, froid comme le well, marbre, léger comme un esprit, lève-toi au nom de Jésus-Christ. So it was very religious. It was um, basically, see a dead body here, um, stiff like a, like a baton, cold like marble, um, light like a spirit, like a spirit, uh, right, raise yourself in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it is in, um, oh, it literally says it right after in English. I'm dumb. You literally translated that? Uh-huh. Wow, that's hilarious. I had no idea that. So to pick off where he left off, in English, here is a dead body, stiff as a stick, cold as marble, light as a spirit, lift yourself, in the name of Jesus Christ! Yes, bitch, bitch. Ten years of French counted that for something. That was so good! Wow, I'm surprised that was still in there. It's been a long time. The, the version described by Peps is quite similar to the version played today. And although some have broken down the phenomenon to a question of physics, there is still something about us about it that draws us to it. What if? Just what if? It's true. It really is just the like, but like, what if they're really light right now? I don't know. Yeah. How to play. Step one. Gather the players. A group of five to six people works best, but more may join in. Select your playing space, too. You'll need to find a quiet, dark room with lots of floor space. No other supplies are necessary, although you may choose to round up some blankets or pillows, as well as several small sources of illumination, such as flashlights, lanterns, or candles, <laughs> and matches or a lighter. Step two. Prepare the playing space. Draw the curtains or otherwise block the windows so no light bleeds in from the outside. Move or rearrange any furniture or other items to clear the floor. Dim the lights. Or if you have decided to use candles or other small sources of illumination, light them up and turn off the rest of the lights in the room entirely. If you're using pillows or blankets, lay them on the floor. Step 3. Choose one player to be the levitator. Have that player lie down on their back on the floor. On top of the pillows or blankets, if you have chosen to use them. Close their eyes and cross their arms across their chest. The levitator should relax as much as possible, but should not move from this position, open their eyes, or speak until the conclusion of the game. Additionally, choose one player to be the guide. This player will direct the actions to follow. The remaining players, along with the guide, are the lifters. Have these players and the guide sit around the levitator, spaced around regular intervals. 
If there are four players performing the guide and lifter functions, position one at each one of the levitator's shoulders and one at each of their knees. Makes sense. If there are five such players, position one each of the levitator's shoulders and knees and the guide at the levitator's head. If there are more than five such players, space them out as evenly as possible with the guide at the levitator's head. Step four. Have all lifters and the guides slide the index and middle fingers of both <laughs> of both hands underneath the levitator's body. I wish you guys could see the gestures that are being made while I'm trying to read. It was the pause. It just soups mature. Then on the guide signal, have the lifters attempt to lift the levitator into the air only using these fingers. So basically prove that you can't do it at the beginning. Yeah. This attempt will fail. Expect (laughs) to fail. Yeah. Failure at this stage is inevitable. Damn, let me know how I'm going to fail. When the attempt has concluded, all lifters and the guide should leave their fingers tucked beneath the levitator's body. The levitator should neither speak nor move. Now the true attempt begins. Here we go. Step five. At this point, the guide should begin to quiet chant. She is looking ill, they say, repeating the phrase softly. Over and over again, the remaining lifters should pick up the chant, speaking the words along with the guide. She is looking ill. She is looking ill. She is looking ill. When the guide feels the time is right, they should change the chant slightly. She's getting worse. The lifters must listen carefully as they chant. When they hear the guide change the words, they too should change. She's getting worse. She's getting worse. She's getting worse. Then the chant must change again, this time to, She is dying! Again, the lifters must listen carefully and follow the guide. She is dying. She is dying. She is dying. Once more, the chant must change. This time, it is simple and final. She is dead. When the lifters hear the guide shift, they too should adjust their chant. She is dead. She is dead. She is dead. Step six. Sorry, lots of death. I'm very distracted. (laughs) It is a little, it is a little, it is a little, ooh, weird. Yeah, I feel a little power saying it, and it's a little chill, and Mm -hmm. I don't like it. Step six. The guide and the lifters should allow themselves to fall silent. Then the guide begins a new chant. would be deafening. Yeah. Deafening. I would think I just killed somebody. You start to understand how these games become what they are because of just the environments that, like, that would, like, falling side, because now you know what's about to happen. Like, following this is, like, the iconic part. But, like, that silence would be, like, the most pregnant pause ever. Ooh, gives me chills. So back to when the guide begins the newest chant. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. The lifters must also take this up chant, repeating it softly and continuously. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. As the guide and lifters chant, the guide should indicate that it is time to lift the levitator. Do not cease chanting as you lift. Do not lose focus as you lift. Chant and lift. There is nothing else. Chant and lift. (laughs) And the levitator will rise. Mm-hmm. The guide should indicate to the lifters when to lower the levitator back to the ground. Do not cease chanting. Keep speaking the words, light as a feather, stiff as a board. Move slowly and steadily and bring your levitator back down. When the levitator has been returned safely to the ground, the guide and lifters should 
again allow themselves to fall silent. At the guide's signal, all lifters should remove their fingers from the levitator's body, extinguish the candles, open the curtains, and turn on the lights. The levitator may now open their eyes, the levitator may now move, the levitator may now speak, but the levitator may never be the same again. There's additional information. The game may be played at any time, however, the greatest chance of success is at night. As such, it is recommended that you wait until darkness has fallen completely before beginning. During the chanting sequence, use whichever pronoun is appropriate for the levitator. He, she, they, etc. Shout out to the author for right. shouting out all the he's and she's and they's and them's in the world. One variation of the game substitutes a storytelling sequence for the chanting sequence described in Step 5. In this variation, the guide must speak as if delivering a eulogy for the levitator. They must describe in as much detail as possible how the levitator is meant to have died. At the conclusion of the story, they should begin the light as a feather, stiff as a board chant, proceeding as detailed in Step 6 through the completion of the game. Pay close attention to your levitator's behavior in the days following the completion of the game. If they behave in any uncharacteristic fashion, they may not be who you think they are anymore. Wow. Iconic. Heavier game than it was taught, for sure. Right? Yeah. Because I also feel like I've played Light as a Feather at, like, leadership conferences. Y'all. Oh, totally. Like... <laughs> There like was a the time and this was like bonding community where we event. were doing trust falls and pretending to care about each other for the weekend. Bonding retreats. Yeah. So no one knows what kind of ritualistic shit they're doing. Right? No wonder but, Karen from finance is such a bitch. I think there's something really interesting about the fact that she's the levitator. It's also <laughs> and we killed her. <laughs> and she's gone. She's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> what what happens at what happens job. at HR retreat stays at HR retreat. Oh, funny! Quit. I've never done it with all of the other like the meditation chants leading up to it. Though we've always just dove right in with light as a feather, stiff as a board, and yeah, that, that was, was the like. Oh, she's sick. That's oh, why. Oh, no, she's worse. I feel like oh a big God, she's dying. Part of it is selling to spirit. Yeah. What's going on and like almost tricking them a little bit to like help you out breaking the laws of the veil a little bit and yeah exactly I feel like that's a big part of the successes um, and I think that would also be the hardest thing is both of a le- as a levitator you have to sit there like silently you can't like yeah, chuckle you, you like you have to believe that you are dead too. and then everybody else has to like get themselves into a mindset where you can like, mourn and wail over this body and then turn it into something whatever. But, like, I think that would be the hardest part is I think if you break your belief in it, it's not going to work. Yeah. But. Which is why they tell you to lay out a bunch of pillows for when you inevitably drop your friend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when you inevitably stop chanting <laughs> before you you're supposed to. Don't hurt the poor Don't girl. hurt anyone. And then you have a demon loose in your house because you didn't do the game properly. Just kidding. I don't think that's how it works, but you know, it's only. It definitely friends. felt pretty ritualistic while I was right? doing it. Yeah, I felt like I was leading something it's a very, little bit like, more than we just could all a, be in deep a trust game. Yeah, like in a circular room. I felt it. Like yeah, candles. Everywhere. I was there. The vibe was real, even though we're just in that. Is this, when walls like, can talk? This headquarters. would be such a fun series. Oh, I know. Like TV wise, 
Oh, I agree. That's so just like I was... follow this with multi- with just different like Black Mirror style, like different characters, different actors each episode. But isn't just there something out that's not? Isn't there a horror movie that's not? I don't think it's Dangerous Games to put. Isn't it like it's stories called... to tell in the dark? Or well, something? there's something similar to that. But what we're what you both are more go offing off going off of is ABCs of Death. Maybe. Each letter is a different story, a different view, a different way. But each letter is a different way to die. I feel like there's and that also was really like, popular when this book came out, at least with my generation. Do you remember yeah. when TLC was doing A Thousand and One Ways to Die? Yeah. yeah. I still think about an episode of that where somebody's cell phone exploded into their face when they were in a movie theater. Because that's what we all needed to be seeing at and that time. And I just, I, like, I'm still, like, I just, in all the time, I'll think about it. I'm like, oh, I always think hot. about the one where there was Maybe some reason. <laughs> there was a dude sliding into a pool and there was a nail sticking out for some reason. I will always think of that one. It was yeah, like, like, slip and slide gone wrong. Like, why? Uh, yeah. Uh, I was like six or seven when I anyway, saw that. That explains a lot. This is really cheerful. This was fun. This has had some. We've we've lived a lot of lives. I know. In this episode, there's probably going to be a trigger <laughs> a trigger warning at the beginning of this one for countless different things. Don't come if you're easily scared, because we're about to traumatize you. We're gonna talk about scary shit and chant eerily in your ears. That was fun. I was so glad you guys joined me. Yeah, that was that was the essence I was going for. That was not planned. That was just a moment that we all experienced. Movie magic, baby. I guess that's it. I guess thank you all for being here as always. You know what to do. We'll give you all the info in the outro. Um, My cat's about to attack the microphone, so I guess that's our cue. That's that's a good start. Thank you guys for joining me today. Thank you for having me, sweet pea. This is just Um, a fun way to spend a morning. Yeah, Um, and everyone just you know. Keep it weird. Keep it weird. Keep it spooky. Be careful what elevator floor you get out on. Right. Shake ass for demons. Read the rules before you summon the demons. <laughs> okay, love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Toodles. Bye. This has been an episode of When Walls Can Talk, the podcast, written, researched, and edited by your host, Jeremy Haig. I would be honored if you'd consider one friend that you think might enjoy this episode and share it with them. There's nothing that brings me more joy than listening to episodes or songs that my friends recommend. So please share the love with your tribe. Listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a rating or a comment so that this one-man operation can take off to a whole new group of listeners. Please don't forget to visit my website, www.whenwallscantalktarot.com, to learn more about me, the show, and to purchase our brand new merch finally available on our online shop. Listeners to the podcast get an exclusive 10% off using the code WITCHCREW at checkout. Don't forget to reach out to me on Instagram at whenwallscantalk with underscores for spaces, or email me at jeremy at whenwallscantalktarot.com. So long, paranormal adventures, and I will see you next time on When Walls Can Talk.